Thank you for joining us this morning at Genesis Community Church. My name is Hans. I get to serve this church as one of the pastors, and it is a joy to be with you week after week. It is a joy to have these people together. We gather at 10 with those who are serving, and we pray for our morning. We pray for uh, what's going on in the lives of those serving. We pray that the Lord would use these moments, and a common prayer we have is just that, that the Lord would do more with what we do here than we would actually be able to measure or comprehend, that we want more to happen, right? That there, there's, there's just something compounding about the saints being together under the banner of Christ, dwelt by the Spirit of God, that just does something that we couldn't do otherwise. <clears throat> and so that's our prayer. And we have been in a series of <clears throat> a few weeks now, and we call it Community Matters. The series itself is just trying to tap into the communal ideas that exist because of our shared salvation. What, what does this do to us? What does this do for us? How does this change us? We, we talk about having good friends or having good community and all of those things that kind of feel uh, sometimes elusive, honestly. I you know, shared before the, the joke that shows up around Easter time, you know, that the biggest miracle Jesus had was to get into his 30s with 11 good friends. And we just go, we kind of hit, we, we get longer in life, we go, man, I, I have more strained relationships, I feel more isolated, you know, I've been more connected in church forever, but like fewer people know me, and these things really do they feel like they start to happen. And we go, what is this? And what happens in the scriptures, what do the scriptures say, that can help us understand why community matters, but also what, what, what's going on here in us, what does God want for us? And we spoke in our first week about how God has created a world and given a, a blessing to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That this was a cooperative way to bring God's image into all the world. That's what he put before us. Then we look at sin. We just go, well, it didn't take long for us to really mess that up. And now everything that we do, everything that we do is affected by it. The life that we live, the way that we pursue things, the way that we consider and take risk, all of those are affected by sin. In fact, even in our prayer huddle this morning, it was many stories of illnesses or illness, you know, trying to fix something and having it go wrong or getting ill and dying or having it, needing surgery for something. Like that's, just the, that's just the story. <clears throat> that people are all experiencing these kind of effects of the fall, that bodies don't work right, lives don't work right, relationships don't work right. So what is Jesus doing. You know, they say there are certain things you should never talk about. Religion, politics, uh, two of them. Uh, We'll not talk in detail about one of those. Uh, But yeah, yeah, but we are going to, you know, it's just, just bear with me, okay? Bear with me. Because today's sermon is one of those sermons. We need to see what Jesus did for us. We need to see what Jesus did for us. We very often talk about what Jesus did for me. God saved me. God saved me. And I don't want to diminish that. But in a sermon series about community, well, what did Jesus do? What does what a bunch of what a bunch of saved people together do? Right? What, what, what did Jesus do for us? It's a bunch of me's. That's often how we think about it. We're Americans. We think individually. Other cultures think very well about us. They think very collectivistically. And like, how does this affect all of us? And they make decisions based upon the whole. We don't make decisions based upon the whole. We often make decisions based upon the one. 
And so we need to see from the scriptures, what is going on here? What did Jesus do for a group of people who are going to be rather divided? Because I tell you what, there are all kinds of words that I don't know what, what meaning you attach to them, but somebody, everybody attaches some sort of meaning to them. So if I just say vaccine, it's like, whoa, hold on, right? Like, it doesn't even matter what, I, like, I, I don't have to say anything else. Like, most of you probably stop listening for the rest of the sermon anyways, right? Like, it's already over for you. If I say Republican or Democrat or CNN or Fox News, if I say woke or unwoke or anti-woke or whatever it is, like, all of you have ascribed some type of meaning to whatever I've just said. And you have, you have created in yourselves an in-group and an out-group based upon your own position. Are you reformed is a common question that was asked. But it's also like, how reformed are you? I'm like, do you even know what reform means, bro? Like, come on. <clears throat> like, like, I bet you don't even know how unreformed you are. Uh, but you listen to Chandler, so whatevs. Like, so we have this kind of theological distinctions that we make. They go, oh, yeah, well, you know, if you, if you mention Andy Stanley, get out of here. But if you mention John Piper, I'm in. Like, like right? Like, like, so it's like, well, I, I'm, I, I listen to this preacher, and I listen to this preacher, and I read these books, and I read those books, and I watch this news, and I do that news, and I watch uh, this, and I post about these things on social, and I post about those things on social. We have all these things that, like, man, really does do, it does a number on us, and it does a number on our churches, it doesn't number on our churches. I was reading recently that evangelical is often not even seen anymore as a religious term. It's seen as a political term. Right? Like it's a, it's a supercharged way of getting at a, at a voting block. That, that's what it means. It's, it's no longer zeal for God's word. It's no longer a commitment to evangelism and global missions. It's no longer a confidence in the authority of God's word or a necessity of leaning upon his spirit. It is a... It is an identity that says certain things about you. Very many of them no longer have much to do with Jesus, it feels. That, that it, it's becoming a different type of buzzword. To the point that I'm sure many of you sometimes go, I don't really want anybody to know I'm an evangelical. Like, I'll even sometimes have to say, like, yeah, I'm totally evangelical, but like, not that kind. Right? I've, I've used that recently. Like, not that kind, though. Like, yeah, yeah, because I just go, I don't, I'm not that. And we have all these ways that we get unnecessarily divided. But division sells, and hostility generates revenue. Conflict gets interest. It's the same reason we slow down with an accident. Hey, what happened over there? What's going on over there? That looks like a mess. Just slow down and we have to look. However, that isn't who we are. We are not a people who should live in the echo chamber of our opinions on what is best. We need better. We need Jesus. We don't need just to settle in together and find people who look like us and think like us and vacation like us and spend like us and talk like us. And We don't need that. We might think we do. We actually don't need that. In fact, that could, that could be one of the worst things for us is just to buddy up with everybody who's exactly like you and assume that good things will come from it. So... Today we're going to ask this question, 
what does the work of Jesus do for our pursuit of community? Okay? What, is the, what does the work of Jesus do for our pursuit of community? This life that we share together. We've seen our own sinfulness. right? We, we're the problem. I bring enough to the table. I don't really have to worry about yours. I just got to worry about mine. We're the problem. Jesus is our solution. This is like one of the definite times that a Sunday school answer will work. Right? Like, how do we fix it? Jesus. Amen. Right? Like, that's, that's what we're going for today. What does the work of Jesus do for our pursuit of community? We are going to be, as uh, you have heard it read, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Now, you are probably familiar with this passage. If you're not, uh, the Apostle Paul has this way of writing, which is rather convenient aside from the fact that he has run-on sentences. But he has this way of writing, which is rather convenient, especially if you translate them into English and then have somebody read them, which is, you will find in most of his epistles, essentially, an argument stated and then an argument applied. That's, that's his approach, right? Like, like, that's how he writes, that's how he thinks. And so he's going to lay out things that are true. He's going to say, hey, this, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And then there's usually some pivot that comes... Midway through, if it's in the book of Romans, it actually happens later than the halfway point. So, uh, but some, somewhere in that letter, there's kind of this turn. And then at the turn, he begins saying, now, assuming that you know this, assuming that you live like this, assuming that you recognize this is true, here's what it means for us. We're still getting in Ephesians 2 at this point. We're still in the part of Ephesians where it's here that here's what's true. And at chapter 2, Two verses 1 through 10, that's actually that famous verse that comes to the end. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared in advance for us that we might walk in them. We have that statement of our, our salvation. And in that, he's even speaking about how we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses in which we used to walk. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. Even when we were dead, it's by, by grace we have been saved. And so Ephesians 2, if you can really break it out rather smoothly into 1 through 10, which is God's, God saved you. God saved a person. And what that means is how God saves people. And then 11 through 22 is, this is what God did for us now. And there's a specific tension that exists in this church. And it's existed, if you read the book of Acts, you see this tension. And the tension is between the... Jewish follower of Jesus and the Gentile follower of Jesus. That, that's, that's the tension that you see a lot through the book of Acts as they try to work out what this means. Because as you follow it, you will actually see that the first people believing are Jewish. They're Jewish and, they're, and they have this, this, this foundational understanding of the scriptures, and they, they're looking for the Messiah, and so that's what we begin seeing. But then, as time goes on, there's another group of God-fearers, people who are non-Jewish, who are very interested in the scriptures, they're reading it, they're following it, they're trying to understand who the Messiah is. So we have these God, this God-fearing group, and then we have this, like, no concern for God group at all, the Gentiles. So we kind of have these three buckets of people, right, the, the Jewish believers, the God-fearing Gentiles who, who have faith, like that would be a Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 who's interested in things of God and brings, brings the good Jewish man Peter along to explain, you know, tell me about this thing. And then you have people who have yet to believe who are off living in their own world. Now think about this. In this world, 
And, I, and we have to kind of set the stage because there aren't, I don't think there are many Jewish background Christians in this room, just taking a flyer. But in this world then, you have one group of people who have always kind of been connected to the story of salvation. And you have another group of people that has not always been connected in that way to the story of salvation. So you have one group of people who are God's people. You have one group of people who have had the scriptures revealed. You have one group of people who God has saved in a unique way. You have one group of people who have all these covenants and all these promises and things spoken. And so that would, I think, associate with it this great amount of of pride. It's identity forming. And you have this other group of people that has none of that. And in fact, they're like eating meat sacrificed to idols. And now they're in the same church. Now they're in the same church. We'd love to think that that wouldn't be weird, but it's totally weird. It's totally weird. Like it's weirder than a, like a public schooler and a homeschooler walking into the same, into the same room. Like it's weirder than that, I promise. So, so it's, it's, it's a weird interaction because it is one of those things where you just go, they're totally different. They have a totally different foundation. You drop the newest podcast you listen to, they're like, what's the rise and fall of Mars Hill? I've never heard of that. Have you heard this one where they just talk about like drugs? You're like, wait a minute. Right? What, 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 what world are you in? You don't know? Like, everyone's interested in this. Everyone's curious about this. Everyone's following this thing. And they're like, I'm not. That's what you get. Right? You, you get a group of people who have totally different backgrounds, totally different histories, totally different understanding of marriage, totally different understanding of sex, totally different understanding of food, totally different understanding of worship, totally different understanding of God. You get those people saved by the same God in Christ, and then you got a mess. You get a mess. Because you just try to get people like, well, I mean, you've been in the community group or whatever where somebody's chimed in, they've spoken up, and you're just like, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> like, I've never heard that book. I've never heard that author. I've never heard that point. I've never read that. I don't even think that's in the Bible. And you're just like, but like, like, with all the zeal in the world, they're, they're like so glad to be there, and they're so enthusiastic, and they just kind of start sharing stuff. You're like, I have no idea what's happening here. I mean, imagine the Ephesians small group ministry for a moment. Like, you never read Isaiah, bro? Like, who? Isaiah? No, I read poets. And, like, my family were all idol worshipers. The statues are still in the backyard. Like, like this is what we have. And so that's what we have in the Ephesian church. And, and, and 11 through 22 spends a lot of time just going, now Paul's trying to go, let me explain to you what's happened here. What has happened in Christ to you? And again, before we go, well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a Jewish background. We don't have that. Man, those tensions still exist today in churches, in groups and out groups, religious positioning. I mean, really, there are some churches that would be shocked to think that you could vote Republican. Like people who follow Jesus go, how could you do that? How could you attach yourself to that? And others would be shocked to think that you couldn't. Right? They exist. Right? It's like, like, like they just, it's, it's, we think they don't because we hang out with people who look and talk and act like us. And so we're like, how could a Christian ever do that? Think like that, talk like that, laugh like that. In groups and out groups. I don't know which one you're in right now. You probably always think you're in the out group. That's what we like to do. So Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. What we're going to see is really three easy movements. The first movement is 11 through 13. And this is what we see. That Christ brings all who were far away near to God. All who were far away get brought near. That's the first movement, 11 through 13. So this is what he says. It's by grace you have been saved. God's created good works for us. That's verse 10. We're his workmanship. So therefore, 
right? On account of the fact that you have been saved in Christ, he's speaking to Gentiles right now, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, those who are identified as Gentiles, called the uncircumcision, listen to the in-group, out-group language, by what is called the circumcision that was made with the flesh by hands, having the mark of the covenant. Remember this, listen to this list, that you are separated from Christ. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Five statements of unique division that existed between the Jewish follower of Jesus and the Christian follower of Jesus, at least in regard to their history. You were totally on the outside, Gentile. Then you see this in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he speaks of all these estrangements. You didn't have this. You were separated, you were alienated, you were strangers, you had no hope, and you didn't have God. That's a pretty big condemnation. <laughs> like, you had nothing. You had nothing. You had nothing to grab onto, nothing to hope for, nothing. You had nothing. You were out of luck. You might as well just go home. But, now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. That has happened for everyone who has trusted in Jesus. The alienation that we felt, the separation that we felt, the sin that has kept us away, all of those things have been removed in Christ Jesus. And he has brought us near to him. And I just love that language of nearness. Right? Nearness. You think of the, the parents who hears their child cry or the kid who comes running. And what does the parent often say to comfort the kid? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. We get to be near to God because of the work of Jesus. By his grace, he has saved us. And as a consequence of that, a beautiful consequence of that, he has brought us near together. So just first, I just love, I love the image that exists there because now everyone's been brought near. And just go with me here for a moment. But like the nearer you get, the closer you get, right? Even to one another. Like, come on in here, right? Like you just think of like the group hugs and like, come on, everybody's in. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, you're here too? What are you doing here? I didn't even like you. And you're here? And you're here, and they're looking at you saying the same thing. Wait a minute, I knew you in high school. I remember that conversation. I remember what we did. And now you're here too. Why? We have to remember the first part of Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved. Right? So we often look at one another and go, how did you get here? Because you seem crazy. By grace you have been saved. Right? That's always the thing we have to remember is that it... It really doesn't matter what you think of me. It's what God thinks of me. It doesn't really matter what I think of you. It's what God thinks of you. And then you have all those people together near to God, and they get to go, we're all here. Came to the party. 
So there's this first statement about what the Lord has done for this group of Gentiles who stood out for, really, millennia just stood out as different. They didn't have that same history. Right, you might, you might look at it today and, and you, you might be here and maybe, maybe you're the first Christian in your family tree. Right? You're the first one to trust in Christ. Not your parents, not your grandparents, not your siblings. Like you, you are there. And then you come to a church. Why well, you come to a church and these people have had, oh, my grandfather was a pastor and his dad was a pastor. And you're like, I don't have that kind of family tree. Right? These same kind of things can sneak in and affect us. Where you, you show up, you go, it seems like everybody at my church has it all together. Like they have the history, they, got a, they have the cool parents, they have the great-grandparents, they have the great-great-great-great-grandparents, like everything here. They have that. I don't have that. I, I, I don't have that. Well, to, to a, times a million, that's that Jewish-Gentile tension. Right, we're now getting brought in, and you can feel that tension perhaps of the Jewish Christian going, wait a second, we've been at this a while and this guy's going to cut in line? Right? That can be that fleshly response that you have. They're going to cut in line? We remember that whole circumcision thing we've been doing? No way. Right? So even, even the tension you go called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. Right? Just the, those divisions that exist. The way they're going to try and identify themselves by things that aren't the most important. Been brought near. Okay. Secondly. There's a tension between these two groups. That tension is the law. The way in which you operate. These things, these things you do, this way you live. And the Jewish, the Jewish standard of purity was high. Far different from the Gentile standard of purity, really. Like, like understanding of, of sexual ethics, how they would live, what they would eat, how they would spend their time. And so there was a moral purity to Jewish people not that they were awesome, but moral purity because they had the law given to them by God that was trying to teach them and instruct them in how to walk. And then what you see is that thing that caused the tension, Jesus got rid of. He actually removed the tension-causing element. So this is what we have. Verse 14 through 17, or I'm sorry, uh, through 18, we see that Christ brings peace to conflicting groups. So he's brought near those outsiders, he brings peace to conflicting groups. And this is how we see this. Verse 14. For he himself, that would be Jesus, is our peace. He's our peace. The tension in the room, the way you feel, Jesus is our peace. How? What has he done? He has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility... By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There's that word again. And might reconcile, bring together us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached, there's that word again, peace to those who were far off and Peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, there's a lot happening here. And you have to remember the Jewish group and the Gentile group. Because Paul uses, now we've kind of changed from, remember you Gentiles, 
had a specific way of life. He is our peace. And so now he's speaking about both groups. He was speaking to one group in that first part. He's speaking about both groups in the second part. He is our peace. Because he's made both groups one. Now, Romans uses the language of the Gentiles being grafted in, as in grafted into the plan of God. Right? Some would say we're kind of in the age of the Gentiles where, where non-Jewish people are really carrying the mantle of, of many churches, while others are doing significant work in Jewish evangelism. What we see here, so, so, so God has grafted in Gentiles and made them a significant part of his plan, which has always been, Gentiles could have always come to faith in God, even in the Old Testament times, they weren't excluded. But now we have this mass involvement. Everyone's being ushered in. Gentiles are putting their faith in Jesus and they're being saved and it's causing that tension. And we go, Jesus is our peace. Because what did he do? And this is the beautiful language. Even though we've been grafted into that plan, is that in Christ, what you hear the Apostle Paul saying is, for the sake of our unity and how we operate together, the Jewish person doesn't start, stop becoming Jewish, the Gentile person doesn't stop becoming Gentile, but they both become one in Christ. And that's a, big, that's a big difference, right? So very often the way that we posture with one another is you need to become more like me. You need to become more like me. I can't believe you think that way. I can't believe that you vote that way. I can't believe that you look like that. I can't believe you post like that. I can't believe you would say those things. So we say you need to come over here if you want to be right. That's not what we see in 14 through 18. What we see Jesus do is go, no, you both need to come over here. <laughs> right? Not one coming to the other, both coming to me. And there's some specific clues in this passage that show us that. Okay, first, he's made the both one. Okay? He's made the both one. The Jewish group and the Gentile group have become one. That's the first thing we see in verse 14. And why? How did he do that? Verse 15, he abolished the law of commandments, meaning that, that that thing that you had that you could hold on to is like pride, that identity forming thing, that, that now doesn't play into how we're going to operate together. So that, that's been gone. Now we said in our law sermon that, that if, a, if a Jewish person wants to, through faith, participate in some aspect of the law, not for rule keeping, not for God honoring them or loving them more or anything like that, but because that was, that's how they operate. They're still saved by grace, right? Remember in Acts 21, the apostle Paul goes under a vow and he does things that seem very Jewish-like, but he also serves in a clear conscience because he's like, yeah, if that's going to help serve, I'm in. If that's going to help, if that's going to help the reputation of Jesus here, then okay, because it wasn't about the law keeping, and so, so what, what Jesus, or what Paul is saying is that Jesus has done is he's removed the thing that was that, that huge tension point between you, that thing of pride, the thing that let you, gave you that self-confidence, that thing that, that you thought you had that they didn't. He has removed that so that, verse 15, he might create in himself, listen to this, one new man in place of the two. So this is how you know it's not one becoming the other and then that group coming to the Lord. It's, no, I'm going to remove the barrier and bring that group together. They both come to me. Because he's going to reconcile, verse 16, us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
Now listen to this. This is another reason that you know that this is not one group coming, becoming the other. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. That would be the Gentile. And peace to those who were near. That would be the Jew. Those who were attached in that story of salvation for all time. You get preached to and you get preached to. Right? The ones who are far off and the ones who are near. Why? For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. For us to, to, to realize, because this is not a statement of, of, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, right? There are some statements in the scriptures that are aspirational. It's, it's like, man, you know, you see, like, I want to I do that. But again, we're in the first part of Ephesians, and what's Paul doing? He's talking about what has happened. What has happened. And I still think so often in church life, in ministry, in small groups, whatever, like, we get so drilled down into our position, be it our theological position, on some tertiary issue of doctrine, that we become so confident in that, so sure of ourselves, that we really start to look at somebody else cross-eyed when they actually hold a different position. What? How in the world could you ever hold that? Why? Because we actually have not been recognizing that God has brought us all together. And this is hard because if you actually do try to work with somebody who might have a, 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 a theological difference, not in orthodoxy, please don't hear me say that, but on a, on a tertiary matter and you partner together and you serve together and you care for one another, it's like, wait a minute, you going woke? I'm like, what? Like, like no. Like, like, we're here to serve. Right? That we, we've, been, we've been brought together in Christ. He has changed us. He has transformed us. We're one body in him. And so I'm for you. I'm for you. And that seems so hard for us. And I tell you, Genesis, for all of you in this room, I know life has been exhausting. Some of that by our own doing. Let's just admit it. Some of that by our own doing because we listen to things, we watch things, we read things, and we just engage in things that we shouldn't. And all it does is really amp you up to be a jerk. Like it's all it does. It just amps you up to, to feel good about yourself and your position, and you find the person who agrees with you, and like, so you're like, yeah! Right? You get more amped up over that than coming together to worship a risen Lord Jesus and being totally forgiven of all your sins. Like, like we're really happy about that, and we are really just kind of, I don't know, we're going to be late. Stay home. And we forget... For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Right? He's my heavenly Father. He's your heavenly Father. He's our heavenly Father. I have friends in ministry. I'm so, so grateful for my brothers and sisters. Just kind of all the places that they serve. And I try to interact with them and keep up. And they're tired too. Just like you are. Because it's just like, I can't win. That's how it feels. Like, you just can't win. You say one thing, you didn't say it the right way. You say another thing, you didn't say the other thing. Right? Like, like if I try to say anything gracious or kind or understanding and not condescending, then like, there's something wrong with me. It, just, it feels tiring. You probably feel it too. 
And what are, we, what are we doing in those moments? We're allowing a non-binding, non-eternal identity become primary. There is a word for that, and it's called idolatry. That's the word. When something becomes more formative in your life than your Lord, it is idolatry. When you give more of your emotions and your money and your attention to it than the Lord, it is idolatry. That's what it is. When you rejoice more in seeing somebody get owned for some position than you ever would in seeing somebody get saved, when you have more enthusiasm for that, it's idolatry. But listen to how Paul finishes in 19 through 22. Just, just listen to this. Because he doesn't just say, hey, now it's all new. He gives, you, he gives you a vision of what new means. He shows you what new means. And there's identity statements. And then there's this view of what God is doing. And we read this. So then, you, we're back to you now, right? You are no longer, and listen to all the things that become undone. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of God's household. So if you go back up to 11 through, uh, 11 through 13, and you see all these estrangements that existed, Paul then goes back and goes, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone. That's, you're no longer those things. You were those things, but Christ came, and now you're not those things. You were divided, you were different, you did stand out, you did feel like an outgroup, no longer. So you're no longer, it's not like you will be no longer, you might be no longer, right? Look at that word, you are no longer these things. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, We'll do more on Cornerstone next week because that second part is all about what God is building. God is building something. Jesus is doing something as that building. And, and so we'll be in what his work for us, kind of part two next week, and looking at how Peter talks about that building imagery and, and what Jesus is doing is building us up into a people. But a few things. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, we might assume that it's New Testament apostles and Old Testament prophets. But what I think is actually happening here is that he's speaking about those Old or New Testament apostles and prophets. Those who are proclaiming and speaking that work of revelation about the person and work of Jesus Christ. That They were the ones out doing that work. Why? Because Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. So you have the work of Christ in the world. You have the work of apostles and prophets proclaiming and working and planting churches and ministering and speaking and teaching with authority. And then you have the church built on top of that work. So built on the foundation of those who are laboring, empowered by the Spirit. So you build up on that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then what happens? In whom the whole structure... The Jewish Christian, the Gentile Christian, all who believe. The whole structure, one structure. Being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. So you have the identity statement. You're not these things anymore. And you have this ongoing statement, right? There's a, this has happened. This is happening. And the is happening is now God is building us up together. 
into a temple for the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we end with a, we begin with estrangement. And we end with a holy temple to the Lord. Full of people with various backgrounds and theological convictions and different understandings and right, different generations in. And what we didn't get to see in that is this. We have no corner of the market on Jesus. We don't. Jesus isn't for the people who already look good and they want to get a little better. He isn't for the people who have their lives together. He isn't for the people who say, oh, my, my dad and my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather. Oh, yeah, we've, we've done this, Jesus. We've always been in churches. We have bricks on buildings over there. we got all this stuff going on. Like, we're in. No. No. You trust in a brick with your name on it for your salvation, you are in trouble. Right? Everybody has to come to Jesus. And when everybody comes to Jesus, Jesus changes us. Into a building, not a brick. And he's building it up into what he wants it to be. And it doesn't have to be what we want it to be. I remember a friend of mine, his wife so graciously leaned over to him one time and said this, you know, pastor friend. <clears throat> Essentially gave this advice. Because, you know, you get frustrated when your church does a certain thing. You don't want it to do that thing. Everybody gets frustrated, even if you're just a member. So it's just, it's just a thing. And she says, maybe you should be less concerned about the church you want and more concerned about the church the Lord wants. Right? Maybe you should be less concerned about how you, you want Genesis to look and more concerned about just going, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want to build us? How do you want to grow us? What do you want? Good advice for us all. <clears throat> now what do I want? I already get Jesus. You already get Jesus. Right? So Lord, what are you building? He's building a place that's alive by his spirit, set aside for him, totally different than the way this world looks. And if it's totally different than the way this world looks, then do you think the things that divide the world should divide us? No. No, they shouldn't. It really should be, right? Like, like even gathering together, spending time together, right? When you, when you people come in here or they're in your community group or they're just interacting with you, I want, I want this to be a place where people go, I would have never put this group of people together. Like if I were picking a kickball team, you'd all get picked last. <laughs> That's what I want. You say love you too? Yeah, we're in. We're all getting picked last, right? Like we are the misfits. We show up and go, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Because God is building this place up. I'll, I'll, I'll probably rag more on this next week, but I'll start now. Um, we get enamored with like churches that have it together. You read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. All I hear in that is Jesus has it together. The church clearly does not. Right, like left alone, like, hey, we, we're going to go to the Jewish Bible study over here, and we have the Gentile Bible study over there. Right, like you're going to hang out here, you're going to hang out there, and you're going to be happy about your laws, and you're going to be happy about how the fact that you cut in line, like that's how that's going to go. 
That's where that would end. Yeah, maybe we just need two. Maybe we need a Gentile service and a Jewish service. Maybe that's going to work. So that's the other thing, though. We have to fight for these truths. Not, not, the, not the reality of them, the application of them. So two things for us as we go. First, and we'll just follow that kind of division that we see the Apostle Paul use. First is this. Hey, you got to know what Christ has done to unite us. That's thing number one. Know what Christ has done to unite us. So, spoiler alert, he died. He rose. He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins. His sacrifice is sufficient. My, I have no red in my ledger. Nor does anyone else in Christ. Wiped out. Totally free. Unbound by rule keeping or fear that God is going to get me. I have no concerns. And that's something I have to always unlearn because there are many times where I remember this advice I got one time where somebody said, well, tell them God's going to get them for it. Right? And I always have to remind myself that that's not how it works. Right? right? I don't want to have somebody to live in fear that God's around the corner going, Ugh! right? Gotcha. Why don't you turn from your sin, trust in Jesus. Here we are. God is not a gotcha God. He's a gracious God. So we have to know what he's done. We have to know that. And when we are tempted to divide up over certain things, when we're tempted to be frustrated, when we're tempted to be angry, when we're tempted to leave church or whatever it might be because we go, oh, I didn't know, we, I didn't know we held to that or I didn't know you thought that, right? And all those things that start to bubble up within us, we go, I need to find more people who think like me. Maybe we don't. Maybe we actually don't. Maybe that's the worst thing for our sanctification, to just buddy up with people who are in it just like us. Maybe, maybe that would actually hurt what God could build here. right? And what's that, what, what happens when we do that? We forget what's already true. We don't make it true. We forget. We neglect. So thing number one, know what Christ has done to unite us. The work that he's done, the peace that he has brought, everything that is stated in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we have to latch onto that, rejoice in it, remember it. And then second, we have to live life as if Christ has united us, right? Like, like it's the thing I have to say to my kids. Hey, you're my kid. There's a certain way we operate in this family. There's certain things we care about. There's certain things that we do. Why? Because we're Googers, and it's a weird name. There's a way we live. I don't need you aiming in my name. Live as Christ has divided us has a few ideas maybe attached to it. First is we need to regularly confess the things that we love to divide over. And just go back to the Lord and go, Lord, i got to lay this down every single day. I'm not telling you that you're going to stop feeling really strongly about certain things. That's not going to happen. The longer you live, the weirder you get. So you have to then go to the Lord and confess the non-essential matters that you want to make essential matters. And say, this isn't what is most important. This isn't what matters the most. 
Secondly, we need to stop focusing on the granular dissimilarities that exist within us. Everybody in this room has far more in common than not in common because of Jesus. In heaven, with the risen Lord, you will be worshiping with former murderers and abortion doctors, abusers, liars, people you hate. You'll be worshiping with them. Why? Because you don't earn your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. We use those phrases, oh, I hope they burn. Nope. Let the Lord execute justice in the Lord's ways and belabor prayer for salvation. I have absolute confidence the Lord's justice is sufficient. Absolute confidence. And so I rest in that and I trust in that and I don't try to spend my time going, well, I don't like you that much. I don't like you that much. You're, okay. You're kind of okay. I pointed past you, Brad, in that point. I'm just kidding. You're good too. You're good too. But, you know, that Googler thing. And I would also say this, just by way of help, invest in people different from you. And that could be generationally, right? Like some of you could, would be really benefited by just asking somebody older than you to talk about life, ministry, what it means to walk with Jesus. Because you might think, oh man, their zeal's gone. And like, no, it's not. It's more focused. It's more focused. So invest in people different than you. Engage with people who don't look like you, whose skin color is different than you. Why? Because it's just helpful. It's just helpful to go, hey, we're saved by Christ. <laughs> like we're together. And that's good. And so we always have to remember and remind ourselves of what, has, what Jesus has done for us. But then we have to live it. <laughs> right? There are a lot of things people know that they never live. It's like, I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't sin like that. I know that's wrong. I'm like, yeah, it's not a knowledge problem that we often have. It's an application problem. Right? It's like, if I just feel it harder, I'm going to change. I'm like, well, no, Jesus already made the change. Right? The thing you got to war with in your flesh is surrender to the Spirit. How do I actually do this? How do I do this? For the glory of God and the good of his reputation in spring and in the rest of the world. I'll tell you this. As crazy as we are, I love this church. I love the hearts of the men and women and children who call this their church home. I love their confidence in what God can do and what God is doing. And I know it's good to be here. And it's better to be here because Jesus is doing something. We have that promise in the back half, verses 19 through 22. Jesus is doing something with us. He's working something through us. And so it's better to be here. And though we fail all the time, all the time, 
He is working something in us that we couldn't do ourselves. Which is grow up a new people with a different heart so that his name might be known. 